This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the This Week in Rays Baseball Podcast. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Well, thanks very much for joining us on our latest podcast. The votes have been cast and... Someone has won, and I'm talking about Kevin Kiermaier in a gold glove. And our first guest on the podcast, I, I don't know where his political uh, choices lie, but we're going to stay uh, fairly neutral in that regard and move on to the baseball offseason. Mark Topkin, thanks very much for being on. Anytime, Neil, and I can see your future is as a CNN analyst. Yes, yes, and I'm not very good at predicting things, and uh, apparently most of the poli- the, the uh, those who are good at this weren't either uh, <laughs> but let's get let's get to the the race that I, I think you picked correctly and that was Kevin Kiermaier winning a gold glove and we'll hear from him a little bit later on in this podcast yeah I, you know what and, and just talking to a bunch of baseball people you know I was, was fortunate enough to cover some of the playoffs in the World Series and, and even toward the end of the regular season including some of the people who voted some of the coaches and, and managers around the American League and I had gotten the sense that you know, Kevin Kiermaier's play was still good enough, and even though he did miss, you know, the 48 games with the injury absence and a couple other games here and there, that you know what he did and the way he played and could control a game really stood out to uh, you know. I mean, his peers are the players, but the coaches and managers in the American League, and obviously the sabermetric component as well. So I do think it was a little bit of a surprise that he won, and then certainly Kevin Pillar uh, and Jackie Bradley Jr. both had good years. There were some others, too. I mean, Adam Jones is another guy who had a good year, and you could probably go down the list in the American League and find a couple more. But uh, there's no doubt Kevin Kiermeyer has become, as cliche as it sounds, the gold standard now as center fielders in the American League. And, you know, I think going forward, this award is his to lose for the next few years at least. I think the impressive thing when you start to look at the numbers, okay, here we've had, what, nearly 60 years of gold gloves, and there's never been a center fielder who's won the award in his first two seasons, and he's the first AL outfielder to do it uh, other than Ichiro. I mean, it's some pretty elite company. It is, and, and you know, the fact that they only in the last two years started doing it by positions has mm-hmm. you know, changed the dynamic of that voting a little bit. But, yeah, I, I thought the stat uh, about Ichiro was very interesting, that you know, as far as the only other time American League outfielder won it in his first two seasons and and really you could say Kevin Kiermaier is the first because Ichiro obviously came over to the big leagues after a long and distinguished career in Japan where as Kevin Kiermaier came up and, and we all know a low on draft pick and had to fight his way through the race system and and obviously what a great success story and and there's more to come I mean he's going to find out soon I think he's going to end up it's going to be very close but he may end up being eligible for arbitration a year early which obviously leads to a hefty raise and a nice mm-hmm. reward for him uh, for the good work he's done. And with that, I mean, the Rays are busy working on their offseason plans. And while he won the award this week, uh, most of the Rays executives were in Arizona, where the front office has, I guess, a same, the same look but a slightly different one. What, what was your take on the, the announcement that uh, Eric Neander, Bloom got promotions, in essence, to senior vice president-type posts? Yeah, yeah, the Friday at 4.30 p.m. Uh, press release. No, I, I think it's interesting. I think we really can't yet for sure how much impact it's going to have. I mean, in talking to Matt Silverman and some other Rays people, 
the sense I got is, you know, they, there were some uh, promotions involved here. They're making it very clear that the, you know, Matt, um, Eric Meander and Heim Bloom are at the top of the baseball operations totem pole. I mean, I think they were anyway, but Matt Silverman is still there. I mean, this is still, you know, a department he's in charge of. He still has oversight over everybody. What I think this does is, and, um, and we don't need to pick on a specific player, but, yeah, let's say that last spot in the bullpen, they need to freshen up the arm. They need to make a, they need to make a move here. I don't think Matt Silverman's going to have to spend a lot of time being involved in that decision as they, as they shuffle a guy from Durham up to the big leagues and back. And, you know, there's a lot of thought that even goes into those moves because they've got to keep track of service time, arbitration, eligibility, all the impact that moves like that has. But I think this frees Matt Silverman up from some of that. Uh, I do think the fact that they gave the GM title to Eric Neander is significant. I mean, they obviously made a decision there. They made a choice. I don't think that diminishes Heim Bloom's importance to the organization, but they gave Eric that title. His focus is going to be more on the player personnel side, on player procurement, player evaluation. I think you're going to see Heim Bloom's impact be a little bit more focused maybe on the uh, minor league side, even some negotiating side, but they're all going to be involved. I mean, the way it was explained to me is, you know, the three of those guys all have different teams. Like, if, for example, in trade talk, they all have different teams they're responsible for. Mm-hmm. They split them up. They talk to their different teams. They come back. They get in the room. And don't forget, Stu Sternberg has a large voice in this as well. So I think there are some changes. I think over time we'll have a better feel for how they impact things. But this was not a move to kick Matt Silverman upstairs because of last year's results. This was not a move to say Eric Neander is now – solely in charge. I think this was just a, a tweaking, maybe, is a good way to put it, a little bit of a readjustment, and we'll find out going forward how much change it really had. And in, in the larger context, I mean, it happens in a period where you're seeing a lot of teams in the American League East lose people. I mean, the Red Sox specifically in their front office, and then you've got guys uh, for Baltimore, and Matt Weider's now a free agent, uh, Bautista Encarnacion, are, are they going to end up back with Toronto? I mean, there could be some major losses within the division. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's, it's an interesting time right now because there are a number of American League East teams that are going to be in a little bit of transition. Even going back to the front office for a second, you know, part of the reason to do this, I think, was to try to keep uh, both Neander and Heim Bloom with the Rays. And, and Bloom's obviously interviewed for a number of other jobs uh, to this point. And, you know, you saw the Red Sox lose several members of their front office to Arizona recently, as well as Tori Lovello, their bench coach, who now becomes the manager out there. So I think part of that was to keep everybody intact as far as the player personnel. You know, this is obviously the rumor season. Mm-hmm. It's going to be an interesting time coming up. But, you know, the Blue Jays with Encarnacion and Bautista both being free agents or potential free agents or I guess technically free agents and, you know, potentially leaving. You know, we talked about the Yankees. Are they going to get Chapman back? I mean, there's a lot of moving parts, the Orioles you mentioned. So there's a lot going on right now in the American League East. And obviously there's going to be a lot of talk about the Rays and what they do going forward. And we've heard a lot of rumors on the national level. Is this probably to be expected uh, based on the climate that we have, a, a weak free agent class, especially when it comes to pitching? I'd be shocked if there wasn't a lot of rumors about the Rays at this point, Neil. And I, I think the important thing for the, the thousands of listeners to your podcast to keep in mind is, is to realize that, you know, this is part of the process here. And Matt Silverman coming out, and I wrote it the other day, saying they are open to everything after the season they had. And they have to be. They're always going to be willing to talk. I mean, there was a breathless report that they were you know, going to listen to offers for Evan Longoria. Mm-hmm. Well, they're going to listen to offers for everybody, and that includes you and Dave and Andy. And they're going to listen to offers for everybody. That's part of how the Rays do business. But my sense, and I wrote this the other day, is that they are not looking to trade Evan Longoria. Now, is that an absolute? I don't think the Rays have absolutes, Neil, because 
if they get to the point where an offer is so rich and so good and it can reshape them going forward and, and really pay benefits, they're going to consider it for anybody. That's why you're going to hear Chris Archer's name. You're going to hear Jake Odorizzi's name. You're going to hear Longoria's name. I mean, to me, the guys that I think absolutely would not get traded, I'd be shocked if they traded Kevin Kiermeyer. I'd be shocked if they traded Blake Snell. But realistically, they've got to talk and listen to everybody. I really don't think they want to or have interest in trading Longoria at this point. And I think to trade Odorizzi or Archer, it's going to take a major package. And I would tell you the value for Neil Solons is probably dropping at the minute. So the value they would get in return probably wouldn't be very good as compared to Evan, who had a great year. <laughs> <laughs> don't undersell yourself, Neil. There's always your war rating. Yes, yes. Words above replacement. <laughs> and I've got a lot of those. Um, do you expect anything really to come out of the GM meetings or in the near term? Remember last year it was the Rays who made the quick deal uh, for Brad Miller um, shortly after the offseason. Yeah, I mean, that was actually before the GM meetings because they were in Florida last mm-hmm. year. I remember going over to cover them and you know talking to people there about the impact of the trade. That It was very unusual for a major trade before the GM meetings. Uh, I mean, look, we, we're at the point where we know that most teams, you know, are willing to start, you know, as early as they can. This is an interesting year. The World Series obviously went late. Spring training starts early because of the World Baseball Classic. So there's going to be a number of, you know, reasons the schedule's a little bit compressed this offseason. The other problem is you don't know what the rules are yet. The yep. Major League Baseball and the Union have not agreed yet on a collective bargaining agreement. You know, I was at the World Series, and, and Rob Manfred said there he expected it to be done during or shortly thereafter the World Series. Well, now we've heard not only was it not done during the World Series, not only was it not done in time for these GM meetings, which would have made a lot of sense, but the union has a big meeting scheduled for next week with all their agents, and that's been postponed because they don't want to have that meeting until they know what the rules are. So this may drag on for another couple weeks. The deadline is December 1st. That's when the previous agreement expires, and it's hard for teams to operate Without knowing, I mean, maybe say this doesn't affect the raise per se, what the competitive balance uh, cutoff is going to be, where you have to pay the luxury tax if you go over that. But it does impact the teams the raise may have to be dealing with. So if you're the raise, why would you make a trade for this guy when another team might soon have to make that other guy available because they're going to be over the luxury tax instead, depending on what that number is. So I think it's going to have to play out a little bit slowly, at least until they know what all the rules are going to be. Well, Mark, real good stuff. We appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll be watching very closely to see what the rules are and how the Rays are going to compete with them. Absolutely. It should be an interesting offseason, as always, Neil, and uh, always appreciate the opportunity to share some wisdom with you. That is the always eloquent Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times joining us for our latest podcast. And we mentioned at the top, Kevin Kiermeyer won the gold glove, and I had a chance to sit down with him, do a one-on-one. And first question I asked was what it meant to be a two-time gold glove award winner. Oh, man, the first thing I think, uh, it, it's just an honor. It really is. Um, I think the main talking point to this this gold glove for me is, um, you know, me missing so much time and still winning this. But at the same time, coaches and managers throughout the game still know that uh, they feel like I'm the best defensive center fielder out there, and I think the same. And, um, you know, I just – Coming into this offseason and just kind of, you know, thinking about the gold glove, I, I wasn't sure this year um, because of the, the time I did miss last year. I felt it was a lot different. I felt like um, I really set, set myself apart from the rest of the league. But this year, um, I still believe that and I know that I'm the best defensive center fielder in the game. But, uh, you know, missing 50 some games, I knew that was going to probably play a part. But at the same time, here I am today and. Uh, I just I can't thank the managers and coaches and 
throughout the game who were 75% of this vote. And then Sabermetrics, the uh, other 25%, uh, they made the right decision. And this is an award that it's not my goal to win every year, but at the same time, I expect to be the best defensive outfielder in the game. And this is a award that rewards you for it. So uh, I'm on cloud nine, and I, I couldn't be happier. Does it mean more because of the time you missed? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. You, you just use, a, I mean, coaches and managers, they, they, they get the stat sheet, and, you know, it probably says how many games you play and all the other defensive metrics stuff on there. But, and there was only, you know, a couple teams this year. I only played one time because I missed so much time um, there in May, June, and July. And uh, it was still in the back of their heads. Uh, you know, what, what Kevin Kiermaier can do out there. And it means so much to me. Uh, and like I said, last year was more, I feel like a, more of a given to me. But this year, um, just to be rewarded with this after so much lost time, uh, it really means a lot to me. And uh, I, like I said, I just couldn't thank the managers and coaches for making the right decision uh, at this time with this award because this is something that means so much to me. And I don't think anyone realizes how much, uh, how special this is to me, but I know what I feel and I know what I think of the award and no one can take this away from me. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing. You're only the second American League outfielder along with Ichiro to win in their first two seasons, full seasons in baseball. What does that mean? That's a, that's pretty good company to be with. Um, Man, you know, little little inform. I don't even know all the sabermetrics and stats and stuff like that, but there are a few um, good points made like that every now and then that just kind of blow me away. So, and that's the first time that I just I heard that. So, um, I just want to leave my legacy on this game, and you know, just being a overall, uh, you know, solid player. But I. Th- I know that defense is my bread and butter, and you're probably going to hear me say that for hopefully many years to come. But um, it's just uh, sometimes I just I don't even know what to say, and I know what I'm thinking and what my emotions are. I can't really translate them into words, but uh, that's pretty crazy. Each row is a pretty pretty cool career from from him. So who knows what I'll do from from this point on? But I plan on not changing a thing and hopefully talking to you guys for many more years in the offseason about this award. Last year it was the play in Baltimore that everyone talked about. Was there one play this year that stuck out? Oh, man. You know, I I don't know. I don't think I had that defining play, to be honest. Um, that one in Baltimore was, was still probably one of you know, the best catch I've, I've ever made in my life. I just like to think that my consistent play day in and day out and, um, you know, made the biggest – decision for coaches to choose me over this. I know um, earlier in the year we, we were playing in Boston and, um, you know, you, you get to know coaches and players throughout the other team. And uh, one, one moment that stuck out to me was um, we had a day game in Boston. There was a, a challenge and I was, I knew that we had it towards our favor and I was walking towards our dugout and I told uh, Boston's third base coach, Butterfield, I said, hey, I need a couple wings earlier. He didn't send a guy, and I was I wanted to throw him out so bad. And he said, uh, "Hey, man," he said, "You make it very difficult on me." And he said, "I wasn't sent him right there in that that game situation." And um, you know, little things like that just just make me so happy. And um, 
honored to to have the reputation I do out there and coaches and managers throughout the game appreciate what I do and a lot of guys probably don't like me for because I hate I hate when guys take away hits from me certain things like that but um you know it, I guess it's okay to be hated in that sense where you know you're you're playing really good out there to to make other people unhappy on the other team but that's totally fine with me you get told in advance so are you better or worse the second time of keeping the secret of the gold glove uh uh, just the same, actually. Uh, you kind of caught me up in, in that question, but I just I gotta tell people I don't know. And you know, I feel like last year I've I was notified a couple days later this year than than what I was last year. So that might change every year. So I'm just gonna have to keep people on their toes, and we're just gonna have to see uh, you know what happens. But I when people ask me about it, I just try to keep in a straight face as as much as possible because. You know, Rawlings wants to keep the reward secretive until it's announced, uh, you know, whenever that date may be. But I just I kind of shy away from the question as much as I can try to change the subject. I know you're having some fun this season. In addition to the gold glove, your your skating skills were on display. Hardest thing you've done athletically? Yes, in in a long time. Uh, I'm definitely not cut out to be a hockey player, but. I had a blast being so bad at a certain thing, and that was skating. And, you know, I, I just kept telling myself I was hoping my athletic ability would, you know, take over and, and just let me move out there and, and figure out. I, I ended up figuring it out, but I was just a step ab- I was brutal right when I got on the ice, and I was just a step above brutal right after that. So I'm going to stick to baseball as long as possible, and I'll just I'll watch hockey from the stands. Will you let any of them power shag for you this spring? The, hockey, the Lightning players? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they came out here a couple of years ago, and they swung the bats really well. And, um, you know, they're still on their feet, and I know they're athletic, so they can do it. But, uh, you know, they're, they're very graceful out there with skates. And from the outside looking in, it's, it's, not, it's not what everyone thinks. It is not easy at all, and those guys make it look easy. And who would have the best outfield gold glove-like skills among their guys? Oh, gosh. Um... Man, I'm gonna have to go with uh, Victor Hedman. You know, I feel like I feel like he can be good with the glove, and you know, he's a he's a good defenseman already as it is, and he's 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 big, so he's got them long long legs, long strides. So I'm sure he could run him down, but um, that'd be interesting. I like to see you know put a glove on him, see what he can do out there. Great to have Kevin Kiermaier on our latest podcast, along with one Mark Topkin and. Uh, we appreciate you joining us for our latest podcast. Certainly as things progress in the off season, we'll update you with new interviews and insights and have our take. And you can also follow our blog, raiseradio.mlblogs.com. Thanks for being with us. We'll talk to you soon.